Amen. Well, you can find your seats and go with me in your Bibles to the book of Titus. We are in Titus chapter 3, and I did not make any such promise. I said, if the pastor preaches uh, quickly tonight, we might actually get out in time to see the sun set, uh, but don't count on it, okay? So Titus chapter 3, uh, we are going to be, uh, we're just a couple weeks away from finishing this book, which means we're only a few weeks away from Easter. Anybody fired up about that? Man, that's going to be awesome. I cannot wait to be able to be outside on Easter Sunday morning celebrating together. That's going to be a ton of fun, uh, but we really want to uh, be able to kind of close out our, our, our time in God's Word in, in the book of Titus or Starting chapter 3, we're really only going to cover two verses uh, tonight, Uh, but I want to talk to you just for a minute as you're turning there about cancel culture. Can we talk about that for a minute? So, so this whole cancel culture thing, cancel culture is really committed, or some people might say uh, obsessed, with holding people and organizations accountable to culturally acceptable standards, or at least how some people define acceptable. Uh, that's kind of a nice way of saying that if, if you're out in public and you step out of line, the internet is not going to be a nice place for you to visit, right? It's going to get a little scary. And, and, and if you say something, if you tweet something, if you seemingly support something that some people deem as inappropriate or offensive, you are going to have a lot of loud and angry voices uh, uh, that are effectively working to cancel you as an individual, potentially eviscerating your character and striking down any influence that you might have in our culture. So sweet, so nice that they would do that. And I don't, I'm not really interested in getting into the legitimacy or illegitimacy of their determinations and, or, or the worldview that kind of informs uh, their thinking and, and, and the criteria for what's actually acceptable and what's not, or even like what gives them the right to uh, you know, have this ultimate judgment. Uh, but, but there's no denying that technology and social media platforms have given voice and influence to, well, let's, let's call it the mob, right? And it's kind of like a snowball going downhill. It's just picking up speed and picking up force, and it's having a significant impact in our culture. Basically, you can just get enough people to join forces and look at someone and say, that's not okay, That's not how somebody should think. That's not how somebody should act in our society. You need to be canceled. You need to be silenced. You need to be sentenced. You need to be prosecuted. You need to be uh, punished because you're not being a good citizen. It's the essential message that's coming out here. Now, let's be honest. There are some people who need to be held accountable. Yes? Like we get that? Uh, but, but I do think that it's probably uh, obvious that it's, it, it's dangerous uh, to put the right to pass judgment into the hands of an angry mob who are really just slaves to the moment and, and the current preferences and, and, and opinions that are going on that are not really uh, uh, grounded in objective truth. Not to mention the fact that this mob is uh, typically pretty merciless, all right? But there's something that we can agree here. All of us can agree That it's actually a good thing for our society to have people who are living in our society as good citizens. Wouldn't you agree with that? Like it actually works better when we've got good citizens all living together in our communities. So, So the question I think that we need to ask is, are we being good citizens? Church, hey, 
Are we being good citizens in the community in which God has placed us? And cancel culture can't answer that. They don't, they, they don't decide those things. And, and honestly, you, you think about this, gospel, the gospel is so offensive that as it's, as it's shaping us, as, as it's uh, changing the way we think and the way we, we act, radical disciples of Jesus are probably inevitably going to run into the buzzsaw of cancel culture at some point. The goal can't be to avoid that. The goal is to really glorify God in doing Glorifying God in the way that we live in the world, in the neighborhood, in the communities in which we live. Are we being good citizens? Really, the only one who can answer that is the one who made us. We, we need our creator, the, the, the sovereign king over all that he has made to tell us how he expects, how he wants us to live as citizens and as neighbors in the, in the communities in which we're living. And praise God, he does. So Titus chapter 3, we're going to start looking at the first two verses here. And, and God is going to give us some instruction for this because this is his expectation. And he's thinking about the way that we're living out in the world. So Titus chapter 3, starting in verse 1, Paul says this. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one. To avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Here's the big idea that I want you to take away uh, tonight's this. The gospel calls us to be good citizens and neighbors in our community. It's an expectation for us, okay? Up to this point in the letter, Paul's really just been focused on how the gospel shapes our churches and, and, and how it shapes our families and how it shapes our personal lives. But, but, but now he's kind of turning our attention to our responsibility to let the gospel impact the way that we live in, in the context of broader society and in our local communities. And when a, when a church community is being shaped by the gospel, it impacts the world. Let, let me show you this diagram because I want you to be able to see uh, what's going on in New Testament theology as we understand the apostles are trying to help us understand this is, these are the letters being written so that we would understand how the gospel has implications. When it grabs hold of someone's heart and life, when you become a believer in Jesus Christ, you're, it doesn't just like make you a better person. It, you, you are completely changed. You are a new creation in Christ. Praise God for that. And now we're learning as believers to walk by the Spirit, not the flesh. And so, man, I've been praying, honestly, this has been one of my prayers for you over the last year, that you would really learn to walk by the Spirit so that what's coming out of your life is not the, the, the works of the flesh, but it's the fruit of the Spirit. We're seeing Something different is happening because God is doing something in our hearts, and so we're seeing the fruit of that. Well, if new fruit is going to come out in the way that we talk, the way that we think, the way that we, we, we speak and interact with other people, the way we treat these people around, the first people that it's going to in, impact are the people that we live with, right? And so even in the New Testament, as we're seeing these letters unfold, there's, this, there's all of this information and instruction on how the family is supposed to be ordered according to God's design. And, and so it's going to impact the, someone's personal life, and then that's going to impact their families, and their families are going to be structured according to God's design, and then that family is going to impact the family of families, the church, right? And, and then that church is going to impact the world. 
And so the gospel touches every single area of our lives. Listen, it's not compartmentalized to just Sundays at church. As if your spiritual life has no bearing on the secular world. Quite honestly, most people don't care if we're living out our faith as, as long as we're doing it behind closed doors at church. But, but it's when we take it outside because we're realizing, hey, church isn't over. Let's go be the church. And as we're going, we want to love Christ and we want to live sad. That's when people start to take issue with us because they realize we're not content to keep Christ to ourselves. And so the vision and the design for God's people as we're understanding, uh, this is the way Paul was trying to instruct the church, is that every gospel-shaped believer is meant to have a greater multiplying impact on their family, on their church, and on the world around them. God wants gospel-shaped church communities to reach and to impact and to transform local communities where they've been planted because they're living sent. Now, uh, as we turn our attention to this call on our lives, we begin to understand like this is God's expectation on us. We just need to acknowledge up front that there's going to be a cost to that. This is, this is going to be a challenge for us, especially as we think about Fairfax in 21st century, our culture is just increasingly embracing immorality and, and rejecting Jesus Christ. And, 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 and I was actually reading Isaiah 26 this week, showing favor to the wicked, that they would do that. They would show favor to those that are going against God's design. So, so what that means is this. It's probable that we, as followers and ambassadors of Christ, will increasingly be seen as a threat to society and what they would hold up as the ideal citizens. They're going to start to pick up and, 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 and notice the fact that we end up standing against much of what they promote, that we don't celebrate the same things that they celebrate. And it's because, like what we saw last week, if you're there in the text in chapter 2, verse 12, because the gospel, remember, is training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. We're learning as believers in Jesus to look at some of the things that are going on and say, no, no, that's not right. That's not God's design. We have to say no. Now, now let, let, let's balance this. There's, there's going to be a lot of things that, that we can actually agree with in the people in our culture. We're going to be able to like, join forces and say, yes, we want that too. Yes, we want, we want protection for the vulnerable. We want provision for the needy. We, we, we want justice for the oppressed. We want freedoms that pre preserve the dignity of all people. We, we want solutions to problems that promote human flourishing. Like, yes, we want that. But there's going to be a lot of times where we find ourselves having to part ways with our culture. Like, yeah, we want that too, but no, 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 that's not it. Or no, that's not the way we're going about this. So just don't be surprised when the world hates you, said Jesus. They will likely think at times that we are the worst citizens. 
We're the worst kind of citizens. In fact, the, the, the early church had to face this struggle. You think about um, the, the generation after the apostles passed away, okay? Now we're into the second century, and Christianity is just taking off, right? It's just exploding and multiplying in, in growth. Well, in the second century, a lot of the apologists in the church, the people that had to like kind of defend the faith, they were having to spend a lot of time defending and, and explaining how Christians were not a threat to society in the Roman Empire. Because here's why. There, there were a lot of people in the Roman Empire that looked at Christians and called them atheists. And the reason they were atheists which is weird to us because we're like, well, would they believe in God? No, but they didn't believe in all the Roman gods. Like They didn't believe in, in, in all the gods that everybody else were worshiping. And because they didn't worship all the gods then, that means, if you're thinking in, in, in terms of like uh, looking around in the neighborhood, you're realizing one of my neighbors isn't worshiping the gods. That's going to make the gods kind of ticked at us, and we're going to have to bear the punishment for that because of all these stupid Christians that won't worship the gods because they're atheists, right? And then there were like rumors going around that they were incestuous, because they were married to people that they called their brother in Christ or their sister in Christ. Like, I am happily married to my sister in Christ. I usually call her babe. I don't usually call her sis. But, but you kind of understand, like, it, it, I love that. I love that she's my sister in Christ. But you kind of see where that might, like, confuse some people, right? And, and there was also rumors uh, that, at, that at one point they were cannibalistic. Because when they got together and their meetings, apparently they were eating the flesh and drinking blood when they took communion together, right? And so they had to demonstrate that Christians were not actually the worst citizens or enemies of society, but they were actually the best kind of citizens because of their godly values and because they would love their neighbor like Christ had demonstrated for them. So even if our culture doesn't get it, and they probably won't, we are still called to be good citizens and neighbors in our community. But I want to give you two clarifications that I see here in the text, two clarifications for how God wants us and calls us to be good citizens and neighbors. Here's the first one if you're taking notes. Note this. Be a submissive citizen who works for the good of our community. Be a submissive citizen who works for the good of our community. See this in verse 1. He says, remind them, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. To remind them means this is not new, okay? Like, like Paul's written, he's actually taught on this before. This should be review. You already, you already know this. What's the relationship between Christians and their governing authorities, their rulers and the people that are over them? How are we supposed to relate to them? Well, the expectation is that we have an inclination and a willingness to submit and to recognize and respond to the authorities that are over us. In fact, it was just a few, probably six years before he wrote this letter, Paul wrote this in Romans chapter 13, verse 1. I've got it for you on the screen. I want you to see this. Here's what he said. For there's no authority except from who? God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. So what does that mean? That means this. God put those authorities over us. And so for us, we submit as to God. You see, Paul's desire is that the gospel would revolutionize the culture on the island of Crete, but not by, uh, by, by the means of Christians organizing all this political revolt. That's not the idea here. 
He says, no, no, no. I went, just remember, your job is to be submissive. And he says to be obedient. That, that word in the Greek is kind of interesting. It, it means to obey a ruler. And, and it's the same root word as, as the word rulers there in verse 1. Meaning like, who, who are we supposed to obey? We're supposed to be submissive. Who are we supposed to obey? Well, he's clearly saying we're supposed to obey our rulers and our governing authorities. When they tell us to do something, God calls us to obey. Now, uh, that's actually the same Greek word also uh, that, that Paul or, or that Peter uses rather in Acts chapter 5. This is kind of instructive for us because when, when Peter and John had been commanded, don't talk about Jesus anymore, what did they say? Well, Peter said this, we must obey, there's our word, we must obey God rather than men. So yes, we have divine appointed authorities, but there's a higher authority who holds our ultimate allegiance. And so we first obey God, and we obey him, listen, we obey him by obeying the authorities and the institutions that he has providentially installed over us for our good. But because our allegiance is first to God, that means we never obey our authorities when they require and direct us to sin against God and rebel against his authority. You get that? Can I just like caution this? I think we need to think really carefully and honestly about what would actually constitute a, a, a directive that violates God's commands. We, we don't just get to like dismiss our responsibility to submit just because we don't like certain authorities or we don't agree with all of their policies. We don't obey when it requires sin and ungodliness, but we do submit even when it's inconvenient and even when it's hard and, and, and even when some, there, there's laws that, that, and commands that we just wouldn't prefer. The, the, the call is to be submissive citizens even to laws and policies that we might not agree with and find frustrating. So, for example, you... Um, may not agree with, like, mask mandates. But you don't have the right to pick and choose when you're going to obey and when you're not. It's not our call. Or I, uh, I might think that I'm perfectly safe and fine to drive above the speed limit that's posted on a particular road, like this, this seems totally fair to me, but the, the reality is I don't have the right to decide that. And if I get pulled over, whether I get a ticket or not is really not up for debate. In fact, I can imagine that a police officer might be more inclined to give me a ticket if I start trying to argue my case about why that speed limit is stupid. Or you can disagree with taxation laws and, and how the government intends to use those funds or, or the political motivation uh, behind the new stimulus checks. They're like not super excited that the government is spending this, although most people that disagree, I think, are probably not going to be sending those checks back uh, to the government, right? Some laws, can we just be honest, some laws are really dumb. One law, uh, th this, this might change your world. You, didn't, you, you probably didn't know this. Did you know that in the state of Virginia... It is a law that no animal may be hunted on Sunday with the exception of raccoons, which may be hunted until 2 a.m. 
That's unfortunate. I know that like just changed some of your weekend plans. I'm sorry about that. Sometimes we look at these laws and we're like, that's dumb. I don't want to have to follow that. But God is calling us to submit. He's calling us to obey. Don't go hunting raccoons tonight, okay? Like we're not called to that. We are called to obey. And listen, our act of submission and obedience is a demonstration of our trust in God's purposeful sovereignty that our authorities were put there by his plan and by his design. So here's what happens. Failure to actually submit means a few things. One, it means we disobey God because he's the one who put them there in the first place, okay? But not only does it mean that we disobey God, the, the, the failure to submit also means that we discourage other believers from valuing and responding to authority. Think about this. Like if, we, if we engender an anti-authority spirit in the church and we cultivate this rebellious attitude where, where we only see authority as legitimate when we like it or when we agree with it, when is that going to stop? What's going to happen when, when, when God's word says something that rubs us the wrong way that we don't like? And so it's actually important for us to, to model a, a willingness to submit and value the authorities that are over us in the community of the church. And, and so if we fail to submit, we disobey God and we discourage other believers from valuing and responding to authority, but we also discredit our witness to the world. Because if our culture sees this anti-authority anti attitude in us, it actually discredits the gospel because the message, the call that we're giving to people is that they need to seek repentance for their rebellion to the authority of God. We're going to have a really hard time convincing them that's a big deal if we're not willing to submit to authority ourselves. You see, the world needs to see that we are citizens who respect authority. Fairfax Bible Church needs to be known as people who love Jesus, not as people who hate our president or political leaders. So, so, so he says, look, at, look what he says, verse 1. Be submissive, be obedient. But also notice this. I want you to be ready for every good work. So this is not just like passive, uh, blind submission like we're drones who are just supposed to do whatever we're told and stay out of politics and stay out of policies, like, like, like never say anything. The danger is actually thinking that, that submission means that we should just go about our own business and, and that local government just isn't our arena. It's not our business. Like we have nothing to do with our community structures and we shouldn't even get involved. That's not what he's saying. He says you're ready for every good work. That's not passive. That's active. Believers are called to have an intentional focus on what's best for our society, that we would want to do good, that we're actually working for the good of our community. We care about our community. And because we care about our community, it means this submission does not mean silence when our leaders or when our systems are corrupt or when they're promoting ungodliness or they're promoting injustice that would damage our community and hurt the people in our community that we're called to love. That we can stand up, we can speak out without neglecting our responsibility to submit. We can do both. Because we're trying to influence for the good. Think, think about this. We want people to experience what is good. Esau Macaulay said it this way, that Jesus asks us to see the brokenness in our society and to articulate an alternative vision for how we might live, that we see society for what it is. It's less than the kingdom. 
You see, what we're doing, we're casting a vision. We're pointing people to something better. That we want them to see Jesus. He's the one who saves us from our sin. And he's the one who will also bring restoration to all things and all of our brokenness. Life in submission to King Jesus is glorious. We don't want you to miss out on that. Because only he is a good king who can bring life and love and order and beauty and peace and justice and mercy and compassion and grace. And so what this means, when we're ready for every good work, that means we are expectantly praying and we are actively working to see righteousness reign here and now. Asking the Lord to bring his kingdom, let his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Man, we want to see it come now knowing it will ultimately come when Christ returns. So we pray expecting, but we pray in hope as well. But I also want you to think about what this does for what you, the work that you do, and the redemptive purpose that it serves. Like, I don't know what, I, I, know, I know many of you what you're doing on a day-to-day basis, what you're going to do tomorrow morning. You're going to Get up and go to work, and some of you are gonna, um, you're, you're gonna be educating, you're gonna be crunching numbers, you're gonna be working with teams, you're gonna, but maybe you're just not sitting on a computer, you're, you're, you're doing something, okay? Your job is not just a platform to be a missionary at work. It's certainly that. Like, come on, go tell your coworkers that Jesus is the Savior, they need to trust in Him. But it's, it's, it's more than that. What you get up every morning to do can also work for the good of people's lives in our world. Think about what you do. You can do that for the good of others. And you can do it in a way that promotes the values of Christ's kingdom. Maintaining order and justice and creating beauty, and and maintaining peace, and protection, and provision, culture, educating, and cultivating human flourishing. You do you, and you do work, and you do good work. But we're also, uh, this is why we go beyond just our everyday work and we think about ways that we can serve in our community too. But because we look around and we see projects that need to be completed and we see underserved uh, neighborhoods and, and, and people groups that, that need attention and somebody to show them compassion and we start filling holes and we start meeting needs and, and we start offering help. Because the gospel calls us to be good citizens and neighbors. And the first way we do that is, is by submissive, being submissive citizens who work for the good of our community. But here's the second clarification we see. Note this. We want to be a kind neighbor who loves everyone in our community. Look what he says, verse 2. Because this is going to kind of help us relationally. He says, I want to make sure that you're, you, you don't speak evil of anyone. And avoid quarreling and be gentle and, and show perfect courtesy toward all people. So he's, he's broadening the scope here. It's not just how we relate to rulers and authorities and our, and our government. Now he's saying, like, this is how you treat everybody, right? This is, this is everyone. The worst kind of neighbors 
are the neighbors who don't care about anybody else because they only care about themselves. They want to look good and they want to get what they want and they don't care who they hurt in the process. And the kind of neighbors that are just focused on themselves, what happens is they do what Paul's telling us not to do. They end up speaking evil of others because putting somebody else down makes them feel better about themselves. You ever been talking to one of your neighbors and that like instantly and just constantly have all sorts of gossip and, and, and bad things to say about other people on the block or in your building? And at first you almost kind of get sucked into that until you realize they're probably saying, um, talking to somebody else about all their judgmental thoughts about you, right? Oh, we don't want to be that. And, and, and someone who's only thinking about themselves is, is ready, uh, like Paul says, to, to fight and to quarrel. They, they could care less about being gentle in the process of getting what they want and, and, and being right. They're just ready to uh, slap somebody with a lawsuit over some perceived injustice or call a tow truck because somebody parked in my spot or, or, or to rip the McDonald's workers to shreds on social media because they forgot my fries as I was going through the line or whatever it is. Like, who, nobody wants to live near that kind of a neighbor. But see, the gospel transforms how we treat people. And we see it in, in our words and our attitudes towards the people in our community, the people that we're interacting with on a day-to-day basis. Because when we know that Jesus has saved us from our sins, even though we don't deserve it, man, that humbles us. And what it does, the gospel actually helps us realize that the world does not revolve around me. It revolves around the beauty and the glory of Christ. He deserves all the glory. And so because we're no longer obsessed with having everything revolving around ourselves and getting what we want and what we think we deserve, we don't have to speak evil of others to tear them down to make ourselves look better. I'm not the center of the universe. I don't need that. And, and, and I'm not looking for a quarrel in a fight because I, I'm not getting my way. The gospel reminds me of what I actually deserve and don't get, I get his grace and his mercy instead. And so we learn to start treating people the way that Jesus treated us and to show this kind of humility, this kind of, this, this gentleness and what he says, it's kindness. Because we love, we love our neighbors as ourselves and actually put them before ourselves. So just think about this this week. What's one thing What's one thing that you could do to show, show some kindness and love to your neighbors, that, that, that the neighbors that you know that you're going to interact with and the neighbors that you know you need to plan on interacting with at some point? I got, I got beat to the punch this last week. We drove up after getting some groceries. We drove up to the house and we pulled up and we started unloading groceries at the same exact time as our next door neighbor, uh, who's a little bit older, single lady, and while we're like grabbing our groceries and going out, the, the other neighbor walked out of her house and came over and started helping my uh, other neighbor unload her groceries and take her into the house. I'm like, man, I want to be a neighbor like that. I wish I was a neighbor like that. We have an opportunity to really show the love of Christ in the way that we treat the people around us. The reality is we may still get canceled because of our message and because of our allegiance to Christ. But the way that we treat our neighbors and the way that we live as citizens and neighbors can make a compelling case for the power of the gospel to transform lives and communities. Lord, I pray that you'd use this in our lives to 
not to beat us over the head. I know that uh, this is an area where I need to do some work and to think about the people around me. Are we being submissive? Are we thinking about the good of others? Am I just so focused on my world and, 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 and my home and what I've got going on in my schedule that I don't give a rip about other people? I pray, Lord, that you would do a work in us so that we would let, let the gospel just massage it down into our hearts so that we stop thinking about ourselves and we get our eyes on the people all around us. Lord, I believe it's your intention that you want to take this church and you want to take our family here and impact Fairfax and Northern Virginia and reach the nations with the gospel. So Lord, I pray that you would really turn our attention to you and to what you're calling us to, that we'd be a people that get after it, that when we say church isn't over, we get it. We want to go be the church, live sent in the world. God, use us for the advancement of your kingdom, for the flourishing of our community so that we point them to the Savior. You are the one who brings ultimate restoration. We give you praise for that. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.